You know, Ben Franklin was a man who accomplished a lot in his life, and that wasn't really by accident. He lived his life by a certain set of rules, with a certain set of goals, a certain set of targets, things that he wanted to achieve, things that he wanted to accomplish, that always kept him pushing forward to accomplish more. But you know, by the end of his life, his dying words were, a dying man can do nothing easy. And he struggled even to get the air to say those words. Because like all of us, when death came for Ben Franklin, he was finished. Nothing else he could achieve, nothing else he could accomplish. And as we've been going through this series of end quotes, we've been looking at the dying words of Jesus Christ. Every week we've taken a phrase or a sentence, something that Jesus said as he was hanging on the cross. And, you know, there's something really interesting about this because someone who was hung on a cross would not usually die from the pain, even though it was excruciating. In fact, that's where that word comes from, excruciating, excruce, out of the cross, as their hands and feet were nailed, whipped before being hung there. And yet they didn't really die from the pain They didn't really die from the blood loss either, even though it would have been severe. People hung on a cross typically died from suffocation because they couldn't breathe anymore. Because of the way they were hung, they couldn't get a breath. And so as they hung, they would actually try to push up on the nails in their feet, just get a a little bit more air. And last a little longer until finally the soldiers would come around and break their legs so they couldn't push up and couldn't breathe anymore. And so here hangs Jesus on the cross. And in John 19, we have one of these moments of some of his final words. And I want you to look at this with me because this is what it says here. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished... That the scripture might be fulfilled said, I thirst. We looked at that one a couple weeks ago. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. But here's what we got to understand. When Jesus says it is finished, this is not the weak whimper of a dying man. This is a man enduring the pain of a Roman cross pressing his feet against the nail that is through them to lift himself up for one last deep breath to shout. It is finished! In fact, all three other gospel reports that we find in the New Testament about Jesus' death tell us that this was not a gasp. This was not a whisper. This was a shout. It says he cried out with a loud voice. And John alone writes the words that he shouted, It is finished! It makes sense because John was there. We saw before how John was there with Jesus' mother, Mary, at the foot of the cross, listening to these words and not hearing what you would expect. You would expect a whimper. It hurts. You would expect a cry. Let me die! But Jesus shouts, it is finished. Now at its very surface, it means his life, right? Of course, he's dying, it's finished. Kind of like Ben Franklin. 
But really, there's so much more going on here because this shout is a shout of victory. The cross was meant to finish Jesus, but instead of being finished by the cross, Jesus finished something on the cross. Instead of being finished by the cross, Jesus finished something on the cross. And so for us this morning, that really begs a few questions. If Jesus shouts, it is finished, what is finished? Not only that, but we're going to explore, so what, if it's finished? And then, now what, if it really is finished? So to answer that first question, what is finished, we actually need to journey back a few pages. Here in John 19, we see that Jesus is about to die. But if we flip back a few pages to John chapter 1, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, as he's looking forward at his life, what he was here to do, we get essentially a purpose statement. You know, the kind of goal that Jesus was aiming for, what he was here to accomplish in John chapter 1, verse 29. And this is what it says. The next day, John, uh, different John, actually. But the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this becomes a purpose statement for Jesus' life, that this is what he was here to accomplish. But packed into that phrase, that sentence, the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. There's a lot of basically religious language really packed into that that we need to unpack if we're going to understand what Jesus was here to do and what he believed that he finished on the cross. So you take that phrase, Lamb of God. Have you heard that before? You know, if, if you haven't, that really is kind of a strange picture. What does that mean to be the Lamb of God? Well, it really comes out of the sacrificial system that God gave his people in the Old Testament. So before Jesus lived, God had set up this way that when people sinned against him, when people broke the code that God had given him, when, when they didn't live up to the standard that God had for them, let alone their own standards, God said, there needs to be a way for you to be made right with me again, for you to be able to live in the presence of a holy God. And so he set up, symbolically, this sacrificial system where there must be blood, there must be death, and an animal would be sacrificed. A bull, a goat, sometimes birds, or a lamb to make the people right with God again. Now that sounds kind of strange, right? Because we don't do animal sacrifice. How many of you did an animal sacrifice this week? Show of hands. Don't be shy. We're all friends here. Okay, me neither. <laughs> right? This is very foreign to us, but that's the picture that's being carried forward here. That this was a symbol that God had used to demonstrate how something had died in the place of the people so that they could be right with God. And so now here comes Jesus, the Lamb of God. See, the Lamb had to be perfect. It had to be unblemished to be a sacrifice worthy of God. So you would bring this animal. You would bring a bull. You would bring a goat. You would bring a lamb as an offering to God. And please, don't bring your garbage lambs to God. It has to be unblemished. It has to be perfect to be a worthwhile sacrifice. But look at what's different here. You see, this says the Lamb of God. 
This time, God brings the lamb. This time, God is the lamb. That Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, the God-man, saying, I am here to be the sacrifice, to be the lamb, to be the unblemished, perfect, spotless sacrifice to take away the sin of the world that people can be right with God again. And so all of that is coming out of that sacrificial system. But the difference is where before the people had to bring it, this time God is doing it. So what Jesus is saying that he finished on the cross is that he finished the perfect life so that he was the unblemished, so that he was the perfect lamb and Jesus finished the perfect death. He lived the life that we could never live and he died the death so that we wouldn't have to die. Now from John 1 to John 19, this is what Jesus accomplished. Living that perfect life to the point that he would die that perfect death. And, and that's really where this other phrase comes in. To take away the sin of the world. You know, this idea that it can be removed. That the people's guilt can be removed. But again, that's another word. If, if we look at the word sin, I don't think I ever use that word except in religious contexts, right? Like there's really no other place that we talk about that except if we're talking about how we didn't do something God wants us to do. So it helps to unpack that term as well, because that word, sin, really is coming from the picture of archery. It's the idea that we miss the mark. You know, you may have heard us use that kind of language before. You know, but it's still, it's easy to hear that and say, okay, but you just talked about, like, killing goats and bulls and lambs, and Jesus is going to die, and, I mean, because we missed the mark? I mean, we all, nobody's perfect. I, we all miss the mark. In fact, I read a, a, great, a great quote uh, from Randy Newman. Uh, not that Randy Newman, not, not the short people Randy Newman, but author Randy Newman. Uh, and this is what he said, you know, that a thoughtful person might wonder why God would go to all the trouble of the cross simply because we aren't spiritual Robin Hoods. Simply because when it comes to spiritual archery, we miss the mark from time to time. And so we ask ourselves, is that really so bad? Is the cross really worth it? Is death really necessary? You know, because if it's not so bad, well, then we're asking, why death? But if it's not so bad, we're also kind of feeling like, I can probably make up for this. I mean, that's not so bad. I'll, I'll do some other good things. I'll, I'll try to be kind to people. I'll try to be generous. And, you know, if it turns out that this whole God thing is real after all, then hopefully by the time I get to the end of my life, I've been like at least 51% good. So it outweighs my 49% bad, and, and God will let me into whatever it is that comes after this, right? You know, we, we, we kind of carry this idea with us that we know nobody's perfect, but we're just trying to be good enough. Well, let's tease that out a little bit. That idea that, that good enough is good enough. Is it? Here's the way that I had this illustrated to me that, that probably made the most sense. Imagine for a moment... That you're going into open heart surgery. That's fun to imagine, right? <laughs> but imagine you're going into open heart surgery and the surgeon walks into the hospital room and here you are laying there and, and you're nervous and you're anxious and you're afraid and your family is afraid and people are praying for you. And here's the surgeon and you ask them, did you wash your hands? And the surgeon says, yeah, yeah, I washed my hands. I mean, like really good. 
And the surgeon says, good enough. I'm, I mean, I mostly washed them. They're probably a little bit dirty, but they're more clean than they are dirty. How confident do you feel in the next couple hours of your life? <laughs> right? In, in this situation, good enough is nowhere near good enough. Like, life and death are on the line. You know, or you think, you know, for, for some of you who are lawyers in the room, when we're working with legal code and we find ourselves in a court proceeding, and there's a company who is about to perhaps suffer if they are in non-compliance, and we lay the legal code out before us, and the judge says, are you sure that you were in compliance with this entire law? I mean, most of it. Might have missed a line here or there, but, you know, no, nobody's perfect. And you know what comes next, right? You see, that's the problem with this idea, is it's true. Nobody's perfect. But when it comes to God's standard, not perfect is not good enough. You see, the idea is that if we've missed the mark at all, we've missed God's way for us. And that causes pain and problems around us. And you know, it's actually a lot more than just missing the mark. If we're honest with ourselves, we see this big old target. And sometimes we really are doing our best. You know, we, we know it's over here. We know that these are sort of the things that God asked us to do. This is, you know, in general, even if I don't believe in God, I, I know kind of this is the right thing to do. This is what would be loving towards another person. This is what would be kind. And, and so I'm supposed to be just shooting right there to the center of that target. Eh, you know, sometimes we just miss. I'm just not that good at this. I tried really hard. I hit it sometimes. I miss sometimes. But here's the other reality. And hey, if this is just me, then you can just listen in. But sometimes we know where that target is. But we don't really like what we see there. That sounds like a lot of rules. And I don't really want to do it that way. I mean, what I really want kind of over here. wonder what would happen. What would happen if I shot one over here? It didn't seem that bad. I hope nobody's watching, but we start shooting arrows every direction except the target. Now, you can imagine, what if I was really shooting arrows just now? I mean, if I was hitting the target, everything's fine, right? But if I'm shooting over here and over here, there'd be a lot of blood. You see, what happens when we miss the mark, not only like when we're trying our best, but we just miss, not only on accident because we didn't realize, but when we miss the mark on purpose... Not only does it hurt us, but it hurts people around us. It causes pain. It causes problems. It causes what the Bible would call the curse. The curse of sin that all of us feel because we're all missing the mark. Now again, this is, this is probably just me, but I'll just tell you a little bit of the way that I know this happens in my own life. Because I would love to pull back from something like this and say, yeah, I'll... Try harder. I don't know. You know. We all miss the mark sometimes. We all make mistakes. But here's the reality. I, you know, I was talking to my brother uh, last week and remembering a time, apologetically, when we were kids. And my brother loves to do creative writing. 
So, like, I enjoy writing, but, like, my brother is a writer. And I remember a time as kids that he's sitting at the computer and he's typing up something. And I, I walk up behind him and I look over his shoulder and I read a paragraph or two. And I step back and I say, that's stupid. Nobody's going to read that. Right into his heart. What on earth was I thinking? I honestly don't even remember. Could it be this simple? I like to write too and that's better than what I come up with. I better knock him down a peg. I don't know. But this is what the Bible would call sin. I have missed the mark and it has hurt someone I care about. Ah, but we were kids, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Well, unfortunately, (laughs) I'm an adult, I still make mistakes. You know, some of them are more painful than others. You know, I, I could tell you about years in my marriage where I was letting my anger get the best of me. You know, and, and you're, you know, you first get married and like, ah, you're so in love and people tell you, but everybody fights. You say, not us. And then you get married and you fight. And then you have to try to figure this out. You say, well, everybody fights, right? So we all miss the mark. I won't worry about it. But the problem was that when we fight, I mean, I would yell. That was like my way that I would, I would vent myself. You know, and so like, you know, if you've been there, sometimes it's real stuff. Sometimes it's stupid stuff. But whatever it is, you realize how wrong the other person is. Right? You've been here. I know it's not just me, Lord, please. <laughs> you know what that feels like. And I say, I better yell to get my point across. Now, you don't even stop and think about it. it. You know, it's not that we look at the target and say, God, this is a moment that I have chosen to defy you. Watch this. You know, a lot of times it's just, I'm not even thinking about the target because I'm thinking about me. And so I start to shout and she still thinks I'm wrong. So I better, I better really yell. I better get louder and longer so she just understands how wrong she is. This is what the Bible calls sin. Because there's a time for righteous anger. When you see something unjust in the world and that makes you angry, that's a good thing. But this is a selfish anger, right? And when I do that, not only is it hurting me, it's creating resentment and tension in my own heart. But that's hurting my wife. It hurts the people around us because now it's creating pain in her and resentment in her. And she's trying to make coping mechanisms for I'm just not even going to bring it up because he's going to yell again. And now we have distance in our communication and distance in our relationship. See, and that's what happens when we miss the mark. Not just in ourselves, not just with others, but with God. With God, it creates this massive distance like an ocean of violent waves that we've created, but we can never cross. Creates pain, creates problems. That's what we call the curse. That's what we call sin. And when someone lies to another person, and when, when someone chases lust into pornography or cheating on a spouse, When someone talks badly about another person behind their back or is hurtful or deceitful in their words. I've been there. I've caused these things. I've lied. I've been dishonest. I've hurt people. And that's right about when we start to ask, if God is real, okay, I'm thinking about this thing. Maybe you're here. 
if God is real and he's supposed to be powerful and he's supposed to be good, why doesn't he remove all the pain, all the problems, all the hurt in the world? You know what you're really asking? God, if you're real, if you're powerful, if you're good, would you please remove Drew? So he stops causing all these pain and problems in his family and his friends and the people he cares about. You see, there's the thing. To remove the pain, to remove the problems that missing the mark causes, you would have to remove us. And the only way to get rid of me is death. We begin to feel how heavy this is. And maybe missing the mark is a bigger deal than I was thinking. But here's what happens. You want some good news? I've got some great news for you. Because there's hope in the midst of this. Because all of this is the reason that God set up that sacrificial system. Because he realizes that to get rid of the pain and problems I cause means death for me. But God is going to make a way to remove the pain and the problems without removing us. In fact, this is what it says in 1 John 4.10, a letter that this same author wrote to early believers of Jesus. He writes, This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He loved us. You see, so often when we finally discover how we've missed the mark, whether we believe in God or not, we start to feel this need like, I've, I've got to fix this. And, and if God is real, certainly he, he couldn't love me. I, I better fix myself before I come talk to God. Or we even think, if God is real, like, I better stay away from him. He, he's going to kill me, right? If, if he realizes what I've done... But this is what God is saying. He sees all of it. He knows where each and every one of us has been. He knows where we're at right now. And he says, I love you. And because he loved us, he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Jesus is the Lamb of God. For all the ways that we miss the mark and we hurt the people around us. And see, this is, this is the picture, actually, of a scapegoat. That's where this idea comes from. So a scapegoat is not actually that guy at work that you blame everything on. You know what I'm talking about? That's Tony. You should be nice to Tony. Okay. A scapegoat is coming out of this sacrificial system. It's the idea that they would bring two goats before all of God's people. And on one of them, symbolically lay every single way that God's people had failed their own standards, God's standards, and missed the mark on accident and on purpose. All of that is symbolically laid on one goat who then dies on behalf of the people. The other goat declared innocent guiltless, set free. See, Jesus was the scapegoat for us. That as he hung on the cross and said, it is finished, he is saying that he has finished the perfect life because I did not. But he's also the perfect sacrifice. That everything that breaks in me and breaks the people around me was laid on him that I could be declared guiltless and set free. 
that he would remove the curse. Now, sports fans, you hear me talking about a goat and a curse. What do you think of? The Chicago Cubs, right? Drew, where on earth are you going with this? Stick with me. Because when I think about a goat and a curse, I think about the Cubs. They actually had a, a, what was called a 108-year-long curse where they suffered under the curse, constantly being reminded by this goat. Because apparently a goat came to a playoff game. They wouldn't let him in because he stinks. Like, we don't want that in here. So the owner of the goat curses the team, says they'll never win again. But now fast forward to 2016. And the Chicago Cubs are World Series champions. The curse is over. The curse has been removed. And I, and I know you were staying up till 1.30 in the morning for Game 7, right? The 10th inning, a one-run lead, and the last out. And after all of these years and all of the pain from feeling the curse for so long, finally, the Cubs win the curse is over, and they give a shout of victory. Remember, we said that it is finished is a shout of victory. We did it! World Series champions! We did it! We won! All right, you hear the shout? And, and by the way, where else in the world can a grown man leap like that and you shout with him instead of laughing at him? <laughs> but you hear it. It's not just the Cubs shouting. The stadium erupts with a shout of victory. I'm from the Chicago land. I can tell you, the city erupts with a shout of victory. I'm sitting by myself in the living room because everybody else is sleeping. It's 1.30 in the morning, and after 108 years and seven games, a rain delay in the 10th inning, finally, the Cubs win, and I'm shouting. I, I gotta hurry. I gotta find my son's Cubs hat because, to be honest with you, I'll admit it. I'm a casual baseball fan. I choose the Cubs if I gotta choose something. But at that moment, we did it. Even though I didn't do anything. See, this is what's happening with Christ on the cross. He gives a shout of victory, and we can share that victory, not because we earned it from Him. You see, so many times in our lives we are chasing this. We think, I have, to, I have to earn God's love. I have to prove that I'm worth it. If He really did that for me, if I really want His blessing, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? But God says, I love you. Look at what I did. And as He hung on the cross, He shouted, It is finished! And we share that shout of victory. But here's the difference. The Cubs are 2016 world champions. The Cincinnati Reds, 1990 world champions. It doesn't last, does it? I got cousins who are A's fans. That hurt them. <laughs> to think that they were the favorites and they got swept right out by the Cincinnati Reds. And, you know, the Cubs might win again this year. Odds are they probably will. But even that won't last. It's not permanent. They are not victors forever. But when Jesus says it is finished, even the tense of the verb that he used, 
The word that he spoke as he hung there means that it has been finished, it is finished, and it will stay finished. This is a note of finality. The idea of forever. Once and for all, it is finished. That when you believe that Jesus did this for you, when you understand that His forgiveness is available and you accept it, nothing takes that away. You are forgiven past, present, and future. Not because you did it, but because Jesus says it is finished. The perfect life and the perfect death on our behalf. In fact, it says in Hebrews 10, relating this back to that sacrificial system, how every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Because ultimately those were only symbolic. But this man, the God-man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because he's done. Because it is finished. Because the price has been paid. You know, I had a friend in, in high school that maybe you've had one of these friends where it's like, this week we're friends, this week we're not. I don't, I don't have any idea if anything happened in between, but for some reason it's like sometimes they just like me and sometimes they just don't, and I just can't understand what is going on here. And you're probably thinking, some friend. But, you know, we think about God that way a lot of the time. We think, well, this week I'll, I'll bet he loves me. I was so generous this week. Ah, but this week I really probably shouldn't have done that. I, I don't know. He probably doesn't love me anymore. You know, we kind of we go back and forth as if God is this friend who, who sometimes he forgives us, but sometimes he doesn't. I better earn my way back into his good graces. I, I don't know, because if this thing is real, I might be in trouble. Okay, God is not like my high school friend. God says, I love you. God says, it is finished. So now what? If it really is finished... If you're sitting out here this morning, you're saying, okay, Drew, I'll, I'll, I'll buy into this a little bit for the sake of argument, but, but now what if it's finished? You see, when we ask that question, one of the questions that we kind of have to ask is, you know, what do we do with the fact that, that I still make mistakes? That I'm forgiven forever, but I can still miss the mark. You know, what do I do with the reality that it is finished, but there's still pain, there are still problems in the world? Well, the best way to understand this is that the Bible teaches that Jesus came this first time really as our forgiver. But he will come again as the fixer. And when he comes back, it will be to remove all pain, all problems, and everything that causes it. So that there are no more tears, no more pain, no more crying. Because, you know, if he did that right now, there are a lot of people who don't know his forgiveness yet. And so really, this is a time of, of patience where God is saying, I want you to understand how you've missed the mark, but I want you to understand even more how much I love you. See, and this is what I love about Christianity. This is why, you know, when I stand up here and I'm trying to share some of this stuff with you, it's not just because, like, 
somebody told me I have to. Right? This is deep in my heart, and I'm desperate for you to know it because I know how badly I need this truth. Like if, if you're sitting here this morning and you're not even sure that you would call this truth, it's like, man, but how much would I, I just want this to be true? Because here's what happens. When, when God comes into my life and Jesus says, I forgive you, he doesn't say, ah, we all missed the mark. I, you know, that cross really hurt, but don't, don't worry about it. You know, do whatever. Right? When he comes into my life, when he teaches me how much he loves me, he teaches me how to love others. Right? Then I can cause less pain and less problems and I can show people love in the world around me. You know, my relationship with my brother is better today than ever before because I can love him the way Christ loved me. That when we have that phone call, we can both agree, yeah, that was really stupid. I am sorry. But I love you, man. You're my brother. And my relationship with my wife is better today than ever before. Because there's a moment in my past where God says, this is broken. You are aiming the wrong direction. This anger does not please me. And I can say, how dare you say that to me, God? I'm trying my best. Or I can say... Show me a better way. And then I get to see the blessing of what it looks like when he teaches me how much he loves me and teaches me to love my wife that way. You see, if it is finished, then I can be finished wearing myself out to try to earn my way to God. If it is finished, if I can believe that I'm forgiven, then I can be finished living under the weight of the blanket of guilt and shame over my past. If it is finished, I can lay all of that at the feet of the cross and believe that the one who loves me died for me. And I can actually be finished hurting the people around me. And I can start showing them the love that God has shown me. In fact, there's a couple more of these like really religious terms they actually make a lot of sense if we think about it this way. Because when we talk about confession, that's really what that means. But as I'm aiming off in this direction, to confess to God really means that I say, God, I realize, I admit, I agree with you. I'm aiming the wrong direction. And then we hear this word repent, which literally, physically means to turn around. And start aiming the right way again. Not because I'm going to earn it. Not because I'm going to prove myself to him. But because he loves me. He forgives me. So that I can live in a good relationship with God again. In fact, this is what Romans 5.8 tells us. You know, when we come to the reality of the depth of how far off we can be. And then we also come face to face with how deep God's love is for us. And this is what it says. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, while we are still missing the mark in every possible direction, Christ died for us. It is finished. It is finished. And because it is finished, I can know that I am loved and forgiven 
forever. Because it is finished, I can know that God loves and forgives me. That He can love and forgive you forever. Because you know, when we miss this mark, that really creates an ocean of violent waves between us and God that we created but we cannot cross. But that's what Jesus was doing on the cross. Jesus laid down His life to be our bridge over that troubled water to lead us home to the God who loves us. So I'll just tell you, Albert and I were talking between the services about when you hear a truth like this and uh, how we've both been there and realized how much we need that truth. And I'll tell you, you know, I grew up in a religious family, you know, raised going to church, heard a lot of this stuff a lot of times. And you may be in that same place thinking, like, I've heard all this before. And, man, I sure need that, or, you know, I don't know if I'd buy into that. But I can tell you, I definitely hit a time, and more than once, in my life where I realized how much I need this truth. And how much, like, I thought I knew it, and yet my heart could still go a different direction. To say, yes, God, I know that you love me and you forgive me. Um, let me just try to prove that I deserve that real quick. You know, we, we can battle that back and forth. And so I would just invite you this morning. You know, and you don't have to do this, but if you want to, I'd like to just close with prayer. And in the quietness of your own heart, you know, if this is a moment where you want to say, Jesus, I want you to be my bridge. Over the troubled water of everything that I've messed up, everything that I feel guilty about, everything that I regret, everything that I can't let go of, of the way that I've been a victim and other people have hurt me because of the way that they missed their marks. And I want to move from victim to victor with your shout of victory. Then I just invite you, just in the quietness of your own heart, that you can pray this along with me as we close today. Jesus, I want you to be my bridge. I know how many ways that I've missed the mark. Lord, I'm sure there's ways I don't even remember to go along with the ones that hurt me when I do. And Jesus, I thank you for your love. That you would come here despite who I am, in spite of what I've done, and say that while I'm still missing the mark, you love me. Jesus, I believe that today. Lord, would you show me your love and teach me to love others. Remind me that I am forgiven forever. Because you say, it is finished. Amen.